0: GALWAY FILM PODCAST DIVA GASFALCHA My name is Will Fitzgerald and this is the Galway Film Podcast. Today on the show, I'm talking to Ross Whitaker. Ross is an acclaimed sports documentarian, a profiler of inspirational figures and crafter of some amazing films about endurance and fortitude. Ross's latest documentary, Katie, about champion boxer Katie Taylor, made its world premiere at the Galway Film Fob this summer. And it's playing at the Irish Film Institute's Documentary Festival tomorrow, Saturday the 29th. Ross is no stranger to Galway, having premiered quite a few features and shorts here over the past 10 years. So, we're joined today by director Ross Whitaker. Ross, thanks for taking the time. To chat yeah. us.
1: Well, thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> um, so, you're at the FLA this year with uh, Katie, a uh, new sports documentary on Katie Taylor, which. Uh, Makes a lot of sense. I, I, it seems like it exists at the intersection of uh, a lot of your interests or a lot of your work and that it's, it's a great sports doc and it's a great Irish story. Yeah, I, I think
1: it. for me, you know, it's funny. My, when I started making films, my ambition was to have one film and one festival. Like I loved film festivals. And my first film, short film showed here, 2005. And that was like, I was delighted with that. And then I made a feature and that was here in 2007. It was called Saviors. Now, the reason I'm mentioning that is because Katie went to see that film twice in the cinema. She loved no it. She's a huge fan of the film. So um, as time went by, I mean, I, I know a lot of people in boxing circles because of these films. Uh, I met Katie a couple of times and she told me that. And I filmed with her for some other reasons and, and bits and pieces, some of which is actually in the film still. But, um, so it, it, it does feel to me like it's kind of come full circle. That someone that liked your first film is now... In your most recent one, and you're back in Galway, where it kind of all started so um that it, it does it does bring it all together and it, and it was a natural one for me to do when the opportunity arose you know
0: yeah that's amazing, so I guess that helped massively then in terms of uh convincing Katie to take part uh maybe tell how how did you how did yeah, you get her it's slightly complicated
1: I, I you see um I know her manager quite well uh from just being in those circles and so I was aware before she turned professional that this was going to happen. So I kind of had a, a, a not a scoop on that, but I knew that that was going to be happening. Um, so and I also found that a very attractive story. You know, Katie who was unbeaten for ten years suddenly is is has these like crushing defeats and and can she come back from that so like that's a natural narrative and then her backstory yeah. is in, in itself very interesting you know when she started boxing it was illegal for girls to box you've got all these little things that you can now bring into something that also has a narrative drive um so i had a conversation with her manager about it and um he thought it would be a good idea i think katie as well like you know she she's probably over the years, really stayed away from cameras and that kind of thing. Incredibly private person, really. But, you know, she's getting into her late 20s. um, She's... Uh, avid consumer of documentaries actually really um, yeah I oh. like, you know, I mean I don't know
0: why that's surprising I just you know Yeah, well, she, you she knows, seemed like the kind of person who probably wouldn't even maybe like have a TV you know she just seems so focused on her
1: yeah well I suppose in between training you have to do something yeah. and, and uh, you know she has her Netflix and, and all her TV channels I'm, I mean that sounds like a funny thing to say but I, I, I know because with well, the first time I went to visit her in the States to film she didn't have one and then the second time there it was with then all the, the you know, everything <laughs> set up and ready to go and, and, you know, we'd chat about certain docs that be on Netflix and, and that kind of thing. So I think she was kind of open to, you know, telling her story at some stage and it just kind of aligned that way because I knew her manager and because this new story was starting and and hopefully coming from a point of disappointment into a more positive story that there was an opportunity there. But I, I still think, it's I mean... It, as I sit here now and as we're going to show the film later, it amazes me in a way the courage that she had to be open to doing that at the moment of her most crushing defeat, really. You yeah. know, most people, that's when they would shy away the most. But I think that um, she's a very courageous person and, and she was open to that. And, and we basically sat down and we had lunch and we, and we talked through the whole thing. And I sort of said, "Look, if you're going to do this, you have to do it properly and and because she watches documentaries and because she's a smart person, she's like, well there's a, you can only do it if it's real yeah um so she tried to to maintain that position throughout filming and and to always allow um for the film to be authentic, you yeah. know because sometimes when things get difficult you you want to suddenly close the door, but um we kind of agreed that from the start
0: mm-hmm. yeah, she seems like someone who kind of leans into you know, the things that make her uncomfortable, like she needs to confront those things head on. I mean, you did a terrific job of kind of coaxing her out of her shell, but there's still no doubt when you watch the documentary that she is a very private person.
1: Mm, she's a very internal person, you know, and you can see s- some of my favorite shots in the film are just shots of her where you know there's a whole lot going on beneath the surface, and you can probably ascertain from her life up to then and what she's about to face in that particular situation what those things are. But to a certain amount, to, to a certain degree, you know, um, she is a bit of an, an enigma, but I think that, you know, we explore enough that you start realizing what's going on beneath the surface. So, um, yeah, she, she, she's very open to that process. And, and I think as, as it went along, then you sort of become a little bit part of the furniture. You know, I've been in her dressing room for every one of her fights. So mm-hmm. if I wasn't there, it would be like, oh. Where's Ross? Do you yeah. know what I mean? So um part of it is, is also showing up and being there and maintaining the conversation. And so you're, you know, you try not, you always just want to be part of, okay, well, this has happened. What's going to happen next? Um I've kind of digressed a bit here now and forgotten what your question was. But um <laughs> okay. yeah, it, it, I, I suppose she did her best to be as open as she could be, even though it wasn't natural to her. Um, but I think it's, it's really the case of her if she's going to do anything she wants to do properly.
0: Yeah. So I'm I'm going to digress myself a little bit actually, or just kind of go back. You mentioned your first feature there, um, and of course you've had some amazing shorts as well that have all been here, here at the festival through the years too. Um, like take us back to the beginning of like your career as a filmmaker. Were you a film school kid, or how did you you know break into documentaries?
1: Uh, oh, I originally studied um, business studies and political science in Trinity in Dublin, and uh, but I didn't. I wasn't really hugely passionate about those things so I wanted to find something else to do I always felt like you should try and do something in life that you think you're going to enjoy on a daily basis if possible so there, I was sort of taking some time to think about it and while I was thinking about it I was like going to the cinema all the time To, and I was like well what about this you know could I do something in this area would be any I love cinema so could I do anything in that area and um, so I did a, a MA in film studies in UCD then Um and I still didn't, I didn't know anyone that worked in television or film. So, um, and then I just start. I bought a camera and I just started filming things. I had a kind of epiphany moment. I was living in Toronto for two years and I was at the Toronto Film Festival and I saw this documentary that blew me away. Um, not a documentary that I'd even ever traveled over here. It was a small American one, but it was just so incredibly um, visceral and real and uh, it just made me think that any time I watched drama after that that it could never be the same and so I thought okay well documentary is kind of the direction I, I want to go and I just sort of pursued it there from there um, myself and yeah. tried to find other people to work with along the way so um, and that kind of gave birth to that those first two films that were here in Galway um, but well over 10 years ago now
0: cool and so did you go when you decided okay documentaries for me did you do a deep dive back into like who are your documentary you know heroes
1: yeah well a little bit really, but i think what really grabbed me was that there was this i suppose when it's a cliche but when technology got cheap and people could buy cameras there's a proliferation of of work and there's a kind of i suppose a, a moment that people call like a golden age of documentary and i don't know if that's a golden age in terms of the quality or a golden age in terms of people realize they could make some money out of them or or whatnot, but um, I was really inspired, I suppose, by that that period, you know, and, and what I didn't love supersize me, I, you know, I saw the potential of it, you know what I mean? I saw mm. the potential to, to make things that were immediate and that people would watch, um, but I was much more drawn into the kind of work of people like Albert Maisels and, and Wiseman and, and stuff like that, that kind of stuff that's, that's you know, flying the wall for want of a better word, but, you know, really is, is kind of in the room with people. Um n- almost not direction the action in a manner of speaking um uh, and just being that immediate kind of window on the world
0: yeah and so then um you know again does your your work does follow along certain um, lines and interests uh, maybe talk a bit about the the shorts i mean they're, they're a perfect subject matter for shorts. you take these little slices of you know life and insight into little Irish isms and uh you know manners of life what like how do you how did you find those stories or you know what was it that attracted you to making those shorts
1: yeah well they were they were made alongside a colleague of mine adina sullivan who's also the producer of this film and we're great friends and, and have been colleagues for a long long time now since we made the phone box film but the reason we knew each other is because we were at that time working on a television program together uh, for another company but um it, it, I was looking, I wanted to do some more short work because in a way, you can be more experimental and there's less pressure on you. Or, uh, and particularly with festivals, you know, if, if if you're a feature at a festival, you really have to get up there and stand on your own two feet. And and it's it's quite tough, you know, to, for features. Some features never even get into any festivals. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's really tough going. So kind of wanted to take a step back after doing Saviors and do some shorter work and kind of develop craft and and, and also see what opportunities that that could lead to. Um, and it was just by chance, really, that this uh, we were having a conversation in the office one day, um, which led to us making a film called Bye Bye Now, which was just about the disappearance of phone boxes. But what happened in that conversation was we, between four or five people that were in the office that day, we were recounting stories, about phone boxes between us you Mm. know and and they were highly entertaining and everyone seemed to have some story or know somebody else that had a story that they could recount I just went home that night and uh and was thinking about it endlessly and then got back in touch with Aideen the next day because she actually the one that introduced the conversation in the office but also I knew that we would work well together and said what would you think about pursuing this and uh yeah, we said, well, we'll give it a try. Um, and that led to the phone box one. And then that kind of, then we did a film about turf cutting. Um, and that was Adine's idea, actually, because her dad is in that film. And, he, and it was like, okay, well, the phone box thing worked. Let's look at another kind of slice of Irish life that's sort of disappearing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're always trying to, I suppose, make it about more than just what it's about on the surface you yeah i'm with the phone yeah. box ones it was really about communication obviously and you know how as irish people that's like a very central part of who we are and, and our identity yeah um and with turf cutting you know it's about a few things but that film's you know about men talking mm-hmm. you know yeah. and, and going out into a field and, and spending that kind of time together that, that um. That men seem to enjoy in a different way to to women, I think, and um, and that's it's actually it's funny. You're starting to see this kind of men's shed movement.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. and
1: it's almost like a, you can almost draw a line between those things in a way to me, and um, and and activity. Like there's a great line in the Home Turf documentary where you know about how. Uh, if you have nothing to do, go to the beach, dig a hole and then fill it in again. And you feel like you've done a day's work. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. activity and, and, you know, just getting out there into the world. So, you know, it's almost like a precursor to that kind of male thing of finding usefulness. Yeah. Uh, finding your own usefulness and, and how that's part of identity. Like identity is like a huge team in all of my work really yeah and um, except for this film funnily enough not as much but that's been kind of the thread that's been going through everything is like identity like i'm fascinated by that yeah
0: i did i loved those shorts because i a grew up in a bog <laughs> and then be uh my uh, grandfather used to like collect the change from the phone boxes Oh right. so like i yeah i i too have my own phone box story I, yeah I, I i really love that short um so yeah, again picking up the thread of like identity and running through your films uh, was um, boxing is obviously the other like huge theme that runs through your work. Is that just like a lifelong passion?
1: Not so much a lifelong passion as just a place that I always thought. Um, you know, when I was sort of starting out and I worked with a guy called Liam Nolan on Saviors, uh, great guy. Um, he's gone on to kind of do different things now, but um, we were sort of trying to ascertain what kind of stories will work like what what makes something that you hear uh work on a in a film or on the big screen or in a documentary and kind of we're batting back and forth like what is it you know what is what should we be looking for when we come across stories and we just ended up with the kind of this question like what's at stake and it just felt then in boxing there's always something at stake you Mm -hmm. know there's huge amounts at stake for people um in their lives in their careers And a lot of the time boxing, I suppose, is seen to people as a way out of um, more depressed communities. And so people that box have a huge amount at stake, particularly if you're incredibly successful, the rewards are huge. But there's things at stake for your health, you know, and um, just felt like a world where where stories are plentiful. And that kind of led us to doing saviours. We also wanted to find somewhere that where we could go and film observationally and that would work Do so you know mm-hmm. what i mean that you could actually be somewhere and things would be happening in front of you and you could pick up stories and so like a boxing club seemed like a, a natural place as a jumping off point so that kind of led to boxing and, and then um it just sort of went from there you know because i suppose once you start getting into a community of people you you come across other stories, and, stories. and that kind of thing you know yeah. Um,
0: and so again talking about you know being observational uh, with the boxing ring um, in Katie in particular I was so impressed by um, the fighting footage like it was visceral it was really like energetic and dynamic on screen was that uh, did you guys get to shoot the fights or did you use that footage from
1: yeah we the the fights um, are owned by Matchroom Boxing which is Katie's promotional Mm -hmm. uh, company the, the company that promotes her um, and Sky Sports shoot the fights um, yeah. and they've just been unbelievably helpful to me in getting footage of the fights but what they also I went over to them and just for one day I actually got all the footage from them one day they're so efficient um, and they sometimes have additional cameras at fights that aren't used on television they just they have someone there who's shooting slow-mo or shooting an unusual angle or whatever it might be and what they use that for is like promoting the next fight because mm-hmm. it feels different to what you usually get to see Yeah. so they just open all that stuff up to me Um. and so yeah and, and also they, they do shoot the fights really well but then it was kind of the challenge was I suppose take that footage and make it feel a little bit different from watching in live television. And and that comes down to the editor, Andrew Hearn, who also did the Conor McGregor documentary and his thing in relation to fights is to try and make it feel not like what it felt like when it was on TV, even if some of it is the same stuff. So I think he just uh, I think he achieved that. Uh, Very much so. They were were very
0: cinematic, uh, you know, watching the film. I'm delighted to hear that. Um, and so then just to um to wrap things up um maybe an appropriate wrapping up question as a documentary im I'm always curious you know when do you know when it's time to to call cut um you know not not all the stories that you're filming lend themselves to natural endings um you could continue following katie um you know for much longer um how, how do you pick a natural endpoint
1: um I think well there's two things kind of two answers to that one is that in sport usually there's a goal and i mean and that's when someone sits down to write a particular type of narrative dramatic feature fictional feature you know that you're trying to find a place to end a film and and like the, the you know the old kind of i suppose um screenwriting thing is to have a hero that's pursuing a goal and and has obstacles along the way natural obstacles and and they learn as they go along. And then, but in real life, it doesn't always naturally work like that. And, and also, you don't want to feel like we're, sometimes we're trying too hard to impose three-act structures on documentaries as well. Mm-hmm. And, and you hear that a lot. You know, what's, what's the third act? Or what's the second act? And you're thinking, well, can it, does it have to be a three-act structure <laughs> yeah. to be a film? You know? But at the same time, uh, sport lends itself very much to that. Because, say, in Katie's case, you know, there's a moment in the film where, like, and, I mean, to me, it was, when, when I was filming it, it felt kind of electric. I don't know if that comes across, probably not. Usually it's, it's difficult when it all gets edited down and everything, but where she's talking about having not one in real, and she's in her trophy room and, like, basically the place is weighing down with so many trophies. She doesn't even know what half of them are. And you can see in her almost, like, a rage about like, but I don't have my gold medal from Rio. Mm, and, and to yeah. me, it's, it's not just the way she says it, but to me, it's like her jaw is like, you know, just something happening with her jaw that just makes you see like how much that hurts and how unjust it feels to her. And um, like, and then she says, you know, maybe if I win like a world professional title belt, it'll start to ease the pain of Rio. And when she said that, I thought like, okay, well, that's, she's that's sort cool. of set up the mission now. Do yeah, you know what I mean? So yeah. um, that felt like it, it lended itself naturally to, to bring it to conclusion. As a more general answer, I suppose, you often don't know. And, and you're kind of, as you're filming, hoping to consciously come across that and i think the key to it is to be incredibly conscious about what your film you're not just there recording it's mm-hmm. like okay what is happening in my story now what is happening in this person's story now what is likely to happen next almost trying to anticipate where the story is going to go before the person themselves itself knows and that's how you can kind of build get the building blocks to sure. to build a story and um and find that place, that natural place for it to end. We actually filmed beyond the ending and and ended up not using it because we weren't sure if the ending was the right ending. Um, but yeah, more generally, it's 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 very difficult in docs to... And it, the problem as well, with doc, like nobody sits down and watches a dramatic feature here at the Galway Film Flat and then says, I wonder what happened next to that character. They accept the ending. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. For better or for worse, even if it's open-ended. Whereas, you know, the thing with documentaries is, and things have happened to Katie since the the film ended. You know, her dad was shot mm. uh, uh, three weeks or, or a month ago. And, you know, th- that's beyond the realm of our story. But like, people are still interested in it. People, you know, would love to know what Katie thinks of that maybe. And, but hopefully the film in some way gives a bit of a background to their relationship as well and, and the fact that they're kind of, um, they went their separate ways at a point. Um, so yeah, it is, it is difficult. And it, but I think people are almost like unfair to documentary in that respect. It's like, a, you know, you've just finished a film and the first question is like, and so what happens to happened the next? character next? And you're like, well, <laughs> yeah. you know, just accept it. Um, but um, yeah, so it's a tricky one. But uh, um, hopefully, you just find it.
0: Very briefly, uh, talk about what's next. Um, are you, you're slowly focused on the KD release right now? Are you still working on uh, next projects?
1: Yeah, we, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the, the KD doc, the financing side of it was very tricky, so I'm actually a bit broke. But so I'm just, I'm doing some gigs and, and some bits and pieces, like of directing work for some TV docs and, and little bits and pieces like that. And then we're, we um, have closed finance on a new feature. Length Fantastic. documentary that it's about the um, it's about, uh, I mean, I suppose generally speaking, it's about the the men that were the inspiration for Eat the Peach, um, and a kind of crazy new adventure that they're on now that kind cool. of is kind of brings it back around again. Nice. A lot of circular themes with the wall of death, but yeah. um, yes, yeah, so we're, we're working on that, and um, we're kind of actually about halfway through that already, so wow. um to so yeah. come
0: to the go film fly in 2019 2020 maybe,
1: probably be 2020 <laughs> um, I was hoping 2019 but um, so I always wanted to make them as fast as I can I don't know why but um, yeah it, it'll take a while to for that one to we're into well, I think we're into the second half I'm not sure what the third act is <laughs> yeah.
0: All so right. yeah on that note uh, thanks for me and Ross Whitaker uh,
1: no worries nice, nice to see you thank you
0: and that's our show as I mentioned at the start Katie plays at the IFI Documentary Festival tomorrow, Saturday 29th. If you have any short follow-up questions for Ross, he's on Twitter at Rosswitaker TV. You can find us at GoI Film. The Goi Film Podcast is produced by Greese Onaman Skillnet Training. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review on iTunes. While you're there, subscribe so you don't miss future episodes, of which we'll have another just next week. Until then, I'm Will Fitzgerald, reminding you, you're all champions in my eyes. Slán.